scripture this morning is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, um, I pray that we would be attentive this morning to the word of Christ, that it would dwell in us richly, and that it would reorient our lives as a people, to be on mission, your mission, in this city that we love, but also that we're burdened for. Help us, Lord, to be a faithful people, living for your glory, declaring your goodness with our lips and our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Fred. I'm part of the team here. And uh, last week we started a series of messages, four messages, called We Are Christ City. And uh, these four messages are designed to, to get us all on the same page together. They're, they're designed to help us um, move in the same direction and together to fulfill the mission of the church, God's mission for us. We've got to do this together. And that's what these four messages are designed to, to help us understand. Um, last Sunday, you'll remember if you were here, we considered what the New Testament says about the identity of the church. I said last Sunday that the church is not a place, it's not a building, the church is a people. Every use of the word church in the New Testament describes a people. We don't go to church, we are the church. We don't do church services, it's, it's who we are. We are Christ City Church. Now... If you recall from last week, I said as a clarification that even though we are the church, the church does not exist for us. We're not a country club that exists for the comfort of its members. Rather, the church exists for God's glory. The church exists to glorify God by fulfilling His mission. If you're taking notes, you probably want to write that down. The church exists to glorify God by fulfilling His mission. That's why we exist. Now we can flesh that mission out a little bit by saying this. 
Christ City exists to worship God and make disciples. And we, we live to create opportunities for people to encounter Jesus. That's our mission statement as a church. We exist to worship God, make disciples, and create opportunities like later this month down at the beach, we to live to and create opportunities for people to encounter Jesus. That's why we exist. That's the why we exist. And that mission, that reason why we exist, it needs to drive everything that we do as a church. So the question then is, well, how do we fulfill God's mission for our church here in Vancouver in the 21st century? And that's where our vision comes in. Our vision is to to establish a network of neighborhood churches in Vancouver that are are large enough to meet the challenges of ministry in this city, but also small enough to create real community. That's our vision. Now, Lord willing, uh, Christ City will plant our third church this September in East Vancouver. And by establishing this network of neighborhood churches... We, we get some synergy that cre- creates a context where we're large enough to meet the many challenges of doing ministry in the city. But at the same time, as local neighborhood churches, we create communities that are small enough to fulfill the mission. The, the, a, a church that is uh, a community of brothers and sisters knit together in love, that is crucial for fulfilling the mission of the church. So that's a recap all on last week. This morning what I want to do is look at our values or what I call our core commitments. I want to look at our core commitments that keep us on track as we seek to fulfill the mission of the church. Um, Some of you know I've really recently taken up golf again after about 10 years of being away. And uh, so I use a golf metaphor Our core commitments keep us from hitting the ball out of bounds. You don't want to hit the ball out of bounds in golf. They keep us from going out of bounds as we seek to fulfill the mission of the church. So Christ City's core commitments can really be summarized in four words. Here they are. Centered, grounded, gathered, and sent. Let's look at each one of these this morning. First, we are centered. We are centered on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Take another look at Colossians 1, 15 to 20 that Stephen read for us. Here's what it says. He, that means Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now this is one of those Bible verses that, that just causes me to, to stop and, and catch my breath. Not because it it has so many words. That's not why I'm breathless. I'm breathless because of what these words are telling us. When I read Colossians 1.15 to 20, it's a little bit like looking at the summit of Mount Everest from the base camp. It's both humbling and utterly awe-inspiring. I'd love to spend all of our time camped out on this text this morning, but I can't. So let me just draw your attention to three little phrases in verses 16 and 17. Let's read those again. It says, For by Him, underline that, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, underline that, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's look at those three phrases. By him points to this amazing reality that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, by whom and through whom everything, and I mean everything, exists. Contrary to your high school textbook, life, the universe, and everything did not just randomly come into existence. As John 1.3 states, All things, all things came into being through him. That means Jesus. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Amazing. Incredible. Breathtaking. The end of Colossians 1.16 then adds... That all things were created, not just through him, but also for him. That's my second phrase. All things were created for Jesus. Everything started with Jesus. And I promise you, everything will finish with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything. Jesus himself said in in Revelation 22, 13, this is an amazing statement that Jesus makes about himself. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's what Paul's getting at in Colossians. 
finally, the third statement in Colossians 1.17, we read, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, the Son of God did not just create everything and then just sort of let it go and leave it alone to figure itself out. That's not what he did. Rather, everything is continually and utterly dependent upon him for its ongoing existence and order. Jesus is personally and presently and purposely. Do you like that? He is personally, presently, and very, very purposefully involved in everything. Every moment, every molecule, have to say it, every mountain, (laughs) every person, every place, everything, every mineral and vegetable or animal, whatever that game is you play when you're a kid. How about this? Every plan, every dream, every desire, he is intimately and purposefully and presently involved. Now, as I was preparing this message, I, I thought of this. I just want to press the, the pause button with you for a moment. Because I, I, thought of, I thought of me 27 or 28 years ago sitting in a gathering like this. And I thought what I might be thinking. So if you're here this morning and you're not, you're not a Christian. And I, I've just been making some of the most breathtaking claims possible for a human being to make about Jesus. And I can imagine this would sound odd to you, this would sound strange to you, this would sound unbelievable to you. I can imagine that. I I get it. I understand. I didn't grow up reading the Bible or going to church either. These things would have sounded very strange to my ears. But in, in my later 20s, I think God was at work opening me up to the, the truth about God and about Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because I began to see what the alternative is. I began to see what the alternative to Colossians 1 is. Let me explain. The famous atheist evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins says this. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, perhaps most people wouldn't be um, as blunt here as Richard Dawkins has been. 
But let me just say this. Without God and without Jesus Christ, this is what you've got. A world without real justice. A world without design, a world without purpose, a world without true good. As Dawkins says, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now, this view of the world denies everything that makes life worth living. And it, 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 it began to seem wrong and hopeless to me when I was in my late 20s. And now, 27 years later, it's just absurd. If it wasn't so damaging and dangerous, you, you'd just have to laugh. But instead, I'm tempted to cry because people believe that. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, let me invite you, please, to seriously consider the person of Jesus, what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. Just to encourage you to do that. I'd love to get a coffee with you if you want to talk about that. And if I may, let me just gently challenge you to contemplate the alternatives. Let me ask this question. Do we live in a world that is ultimately personal and purposeful? Or do we live in a world that is ultimately impersonal and pointless? When it comes right down to it, those are the options. Those are the alternatives. Okay, let's take the pause off and get back to Colossians. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Remember, we're looking at our core commitment to being centered on the person and work of Jesus. And I've been talking about the person of Jesus, but I haven't yet said anything about his work. In verses 18 to 20, this is what we read. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That's a reference to his resurrection in order that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's a reference to his death. Now, at Christ City, we talk a lot about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, through the cross and through the death of Jesus Christ, Paul tells us that God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what the, the death of Christ is all about, is God at work in the world to reconcile the world to himself. See, Jesus was punished in our place for our sin so that we might be forgiven and adopted by God into his family. That's why he died. Contrary to what Dawkins says, there is justice. God is just and he will punish all injustice. 
But, thankfully, the Bible also teaches that God is merciful. And so through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, God has made a way to show us mercy without compromising His justice. That's what the gospel, that's what the good news of Jesus is all about. How could God show sinners His mercy while at the same time not compromising His absolute holy justice? First, as I said a moment ago, Jesus was punished in our place for our sin. That's why he died. And through his death, the just penalty and punishment that I deserve fell on Christ. He became sin for me. Then, through his resurrection from the dead, having conquered sin and death, Jesus established a new relationship between us and God. You see, when we, when we turn away from our sin and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we participate in the death that He died for us, and we now participate in the life that He lives for us. Jesus is alive right now at the right hand of the Majesty on high for you, for me, interceding. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous that we read this morning. And that is why Paul says what he says in Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church. The church is made up of the people of God who have been united together with Christ through faith. And so we are the body of Christ and he is the head. Therefore, we must be a people who are always relentlessly centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and the Savior of His people, and we have no hope at all of peace with God apart from Jesus. We will, every week, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from this pulpit. Despite all of our differences and backgrounds, Jesus is the one who unites us all together and empowers us by His Spirit to faithfully fulfill His mission. Christ City, let me ask you this morning. Do you have deep within you this conviction that we need to be a people who are centered on Jesus Christ? I hope so. That's why I'm preaching this. We need to have a deep conviction that we are going to be doggedly, irresistibly centered on Jesus. I pray, this is my prayer, that He would be preeminent in us as we seek to make Him preeminent 
in the city of Vancouver. That's my first point. We're centered on Jesus Christ. Second, we are grounded in the Scriptures. Don't worry, the rest are not as long. We are grounded in the Scriptures. Now, we're grounded in the Scriptures because we're centered on Jesus. In the 4th century, a theologian by the name of Jerome said, Ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. See, only the Bible, only the Bible can give us an accurate understanding, a a real true portrait of who Jesus really is. And only the Bible can tell us how to faithfully follow Him. Lots of people have ideas about Jesus, but if it isn't in keeping with the revelation of Him, it's wrong. It's wrong. This is the authority. Only the Bible helps us to center ourselves on Jesus. We've got to be a people who are deeply grounded in the Bible. Jesus himself said in John 5.39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. He's speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders. They didn't want to submit to Jesus. And yet... The whole Bible points to Jesus. The whole Bible is a revelation, ultimately, of Jesus Christ. He, in Him, all the promises of God, Paul tells us, are yes. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, this is what he says, As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He learned the Bible from uh, Eunice and Lois, his mother and grandmother. And he says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, listen to this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, Paul is is telling Timothy that the sacred writings, what we call the Old Testament, that the sacred writings are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Let me put it this way. The the New Testament Christians were Old Testament Christians. Because the old Paul here is writing the New Testament. It's all a revelation of Jesus. And then after saying that to Timothy, look at what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He grounds what he's saying in the fact that the Bible is of divine origin and has a divine purpose. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's where we get the idea of the inspiration of scripture. It comes from God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, we ground our life as a church in the Bible because we believe that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative, inerrant, 
clear and sufficient word of God. Now, in addition to the Bible, we're also, we also want to be a church that's grounded in the history of the church. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's some sort of divinely inspired history of the church that we need to submit to as our authority. Apart from the book of Acts that covers the first few decades of the history of the church, there is no authoritative, divinely inspired history of the church. But we do want to be a people who are grounded in a knowledge of the church's history because we believe it's important to learn lessons from the past, from the mistakes that the church has made and from the, 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 the battles that the church has had to face over many different issues over millennia. See, being grounded in church history helps to guard us from what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. What is chronological snobbery? Well, chronological snobbery is the the arrogance of assuming that what is new is what is best. That's a big mistake. You see, we appreciate... What we can learn from the history of the church simply because of this. We recognize that Jesus did not begin with us. He's been building his church as he promised to for over two millennia. And we want to learn the lessons. So we're grounded in church history. We're centered in the person of Jesus. We're grounded in the scriptures, church history. We're also grounded in our culture. And Brant will talk about that next week. So third, first we're centered, second we're grounded, third we're gathered. It's ridiculous whenever I hear somebody say, I love Jesus, but I don't have any time for the church. That's a ridiculous statement. Please don't make it in my presence. I I don't know what I'll do. I'll come unhinged. See, we saw earlier on in Colossians how Paul said that Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. You know, what, what are you going to do? Walk around headless? You know, Romans 12.5 says, We, though many, are one body, hit it, one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Here's what that means. We're stuck with each other's, with each other. We're stuck. That's a good thing. See, we cannot live out the Christian life on our own. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. That's an oxymoron. The church is, and the church has always been, a community of people who regularly and faithfully gather themselves together. So, for example, in Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of judgment drawing near. This is a very important exhortation and warning to the church. See, if you you know the theme of, of, of 
the book of Hebrews, the people that are neglecting meeting together like this, as is the habit of some, well, those are the ones who are running the risk of falling away from the Lord. Whenever you neglect the gathering together with God's people, I guarantee this, I've seen it over 21 years of ministry, often, unfortunately, you, you meet people who are growing very weak in their faith. And eventually, they fall away. This is a warning. So when do we meet and why do we meet? Well, Christ City, we gather here on Sundays for worship, word, and sacrament. That's why we gather. We, we gather on Sundays together for worship, word, and sacrament. Let's look at those quickly. Worship Worship is how we center ourselves on Jesus Christ, the exalted King. He alone. We don't come to sing our own praises, God forbid. We come to sing the praises and to worship the only one who is worthy of all our worship. And we have to gather together to do that. I could go on, but I've got to move. Second, the word. We gather for worship, we gather for word. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. We gather together to submit ourselves to the word of God as it is read and as it is proclaimed. See, Jesus Christ reigns over our lives Through his word. Faith comes by hearing that word and doing that word. Submitting to that word. Living it out. Taking it in. I I pray every Sunday that we would be a people who are not trying to rub the sleep out of our eyes because we stayed up till 2 a.m. on Saturday night. I pray that we would come fresh, rested, ready to engage, ready to receive, as, J- as James says, ready to receive the implanted word meekly in our hearts. Does the word of God, when it is preached, kind of, kind of move over your heart like water off a duck's back? I hope not. That's, that is an alarm. That is a, a red light on the dashboard of your soul. Thirdly, we gather for the sacraments. Ever since the beginning, we could look back in Acts 2, but we don't have time. The church have been a people who are devoting themselves to baptism and the Lord's Supper, to, to the communion or Eucharist. Baptism is our identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is our initiation into the church. And then the Lord's Supper is our weekly reminder. It sustains our hearts. It reminds us every time we receive the bread and the wine. It reminds us that you are sealed in a relationship with God through an eternal covenant sealed in the blood of His Son. That's why we take communion every Sunday. It's a means of grace on your life. So we gather on Sundays for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, we gather 
throughout the week in community groups, and Brandt will talk about that in two weeks. So let's finish it up. Finally, so first we're, we're, we're centered on the personal work of Jesus. We're grounded in the scriptures, in church history, and in the culture of our city. Thirdly, what are we thirdly? <laughs> centered? Uh, grounded? Gathered. We're gathered. We gather on Sundays for worship, word, and sacrament. We gather in community groups. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. Finally, we are sent. We are sent. John twenty twenty one. Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The Father sent his Son into the world. Why? Because God is a missionary God. Jesus came to accomplish the work of redemption once for all and to make a way for us to be at peace with God, to be reconciled with God, to be adopted into his family. That's what Jesus has accomplished. You see, when Jesus came into the world, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And and in saying that, he was hearkening back to what God had said in Ezekiel 34. This is what he said. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. See, ever since our first parents rebelled against God in the garden, God has been pursuing a people for himself. He's been pursuing a people to bring out of the dark domain of sin and death and to bring them out of that and bring them into the glorious grace of his beloved son. That's what God has been doing. And since Jesus' resurrection and ascension to the Father, the church has been God's mission agency in the world, seeking and saving the lost in the name of Jesus. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said this to the church, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, even Vancouver. He didn't say that, I added that. See, Jesus' church doesn't have a mission. Jesus' mission has a church, and that's us. We are the embodiment of Jesus' mission in this city. We are a spirit-empowered people whom God is using to fulfill his mission. Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. He didn't mean, although it might have this implication for certain people, but he didn't mean get on a plane and leave. That's not what he meant. What he meant was as you are going, 
As you are going to Starbucks, as you are going to work, as you are going about caring for your neighbors, as you are going about your day, living your life, go with a sense of mission to make disciples in everything that you do. That is who we are. We serve a missionary God who came into the world and who now sends us out, empowered by His Spirit, to continue His mission by creating opportunities for people to encounter Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, pour out Your grace upon us, we pray. Fill us afresh with Your Spirit and empower us. Stir up our hearts right now, Lord, I pray, to know that we are an empowered people to be on mission. Put away, I pray that we would put away all fear and that we would be a people who humbly but boldly carry out the mission that we have as Christ City Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.